0: Well, good morning, everyone. I welcome you all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, to our service this morning. If you're visiting with us this morning, I give you a special welcome. Let me introduce myself. For those who don't know me, my name is Philip McCollum. I'm one of the pastors here. And Our other pastor, Pastor Rich Holdeman, is on holidays this week, uh, but we're glad to, to have him here with us. Um, Mr. John Punt will be preaching God's Word to us Uh, in the service this morning. For visitors, I encourage you to please uh, fill in this card if you haven't been here before, and it's a way for us to connect with you, and uh, just drop this card into the offering plate during the service. Also, those who are joining on the live stream, uh, I welcome you too, and I look forward to when you can come in person and join us. I know some of our folk are not well today and are joining us on the live stream. We trust that you guys are feeling better soon. Please turn in your bulletin and have a look at the announcements. Uh, you'll see, yeah, today is quiet. A lot of things not happening today, but we will be meeting again this evening at 6 o'clock for our evening uh, worship, which will take the form of a prayer service. Uh, we will be considering, as you see in the order of service for this evening, Psalm 119, and uh, the last part, and that will be our Psalm of the month. Uh, for January, and then we're going to be considering uh, God's working in our church this past year and giving thanks to him for the many blessings he showered on us in 2023. Well, you'll see this week, um, the Men's Bible Study will be meeting um, on Wednesday at 10 o'clock, and then the other Wednesday activities will start on January 10th. And then next Lord's Day, really everything is back up and running again. Uh, The Sunday morning prayer group will be meeting. If you're not in the habit of going to the prayer meeting, uh, you're very welcome to do so. Um, If that's a New Year's resolution for you that you want to pray more, well, this is a good way to do that. Join the prayer group on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday evening. And then you'll see uh, Sunday school classes resume next Lord's Day. And then notice this new adult Sunday school class by Colin Elliott, the Church in the Roman Empire. And he's given a description here in the bulletin. Uh, this course explores the rise of Christianity, uncovers the daily lives of early believers, and analyzes the challenges they face from persecution to societal tensions. And ultimately, we'll investigate how Christianity gained acceptance and transformed the ancient world. So if you're not in the habit of going to the Sunday school class, adults, uh, please uh, take the opportunity to join in in this new class. And there's no reading, that right, Colin? So it's an easy class, so you should all be there. And then notice next Lord's Day, uh, there'll be a student and visitor meal after the morning service. Uh, scan down the bulletin, you'll see uh, a note for all chairs of committees in our church Uh, reports are due in um, January 14th, no later than Wednesday, January 17th, and you see the email address uh, for that, and then dates for your your calendar uh, at the bottom of the page. That's all the announcements I want to highlight. Let's spend a few moments in silence as we prepare to worship God. call to worship from 1 Peter 2, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by man, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Well, let us come and worship God to offer up our spiritual sacrifices, which he accepts, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, please turn in the blue psalm book to our opening psalm, Psalm 84b. Psalm 84b, the psalm speaks of the pilgrims making their way to God's house. And likewise, we come today to God's house. We're eager for him to hear our voices as we offer our praise through our shield and our son, Jesus Christ. So stand and praise God, Psalm 84b. Thank <laughs> you. us pray our heavenly father we come this morning to worship you we join with the pilgrims in this psalm coming into your presence and we thank you that we ha- you have made yourself known to us we thank you for jesus christ coming into this world humbling himself emptying himself of his glory so we can see the face of god and so we thank you for the blessing this day of coming to worship you and we are reminded in the psalm how it is a thousand times better to be worshiping you in your house than anything else. And so, Lord, remind us of the privilege it is to come and worship you greater than anything in this world. Remind us again of who you are as our shield and our son, as the giver of glory and grace, of blessing and of goodness. And so increase our faith and rest upon you. Forgive us, Lord, if we have come coldly or we come holding on to other things. Instead, help each of us know that it is good to be here and that your presence would be with us now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your seats. I ask you to turn in God's word to Leviticus, Leviticus 17. John will be preaching from Deuteronomy, and this passage helps set the stage for John's text in Deuteronomy. Here we see that if the people slaughter an animal, that they are to bring the blood to the sanctuary, and this is an acknowledgment that blood points to life, and that life belongs to God alone. So let's read God's Word, Leviticus chapter 17. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, to his sons. And to all the children of Israel, and say to them, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or lamb or goat in the camp, or who kills it outside the camp, and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt of bloodshed shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood. And that man shall be cut off from among his people to the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they offer in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting to the priest and offer them as peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and burn the fat for a sweet aroma to the Lord. They shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons after whom they have played the harlot. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. Also you shall say to them, whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from among his people. And whatever man of the house of Israel or of the stranger to dwell among you who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And therefore, I said to the children of Israel, no one among you shall eat blood nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. Whatever man of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you, who hunts and catches any animal or bird that may be eaten, he shall pour out his blood and cover it with dust. For it is the life of all flesh. His blood sustains his life. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh is his blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off, and every person who eats what died naturally or what was torn by beasts, whether he is a native of your own country or a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Then he shall be clean, but if he does not wash them or bathe his body, then he shall bear his guilt. Amen. May God bless to us the reading of his word. We'll turn again in your psalm book to Psalm 106, Psalm 106E. In this psalm, we're reminded why God has established these rules in the law. And that's because his people have sought to worship in their own way and even offer blood to demons. Let us pray and sing that God would keep us from pursuing worldly means of worship. Instead, we would worship him according to his way. So let's stand and sing Psalm one hundred and six E. Let us now worship God by the giving of our tithes and offerings. And as you wait for the offering plate to come round, please turn to the next psalm, Psalm 149b. Psalm 149b, this is a psalm of praise. And so as we give, let us give joyfully, remembering we're giving to the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us. We recognize that you are the giver of all these good gifts to us. You're generous, and you're kind, and you're loving. We have enjoyed the blessing of family time, of time of friends. Uh, We thank you for the safety that you've given us in our travels, and um, we thank you for uh, these blessings. Lord, we thank you for the blessings that we enjoy here in our church. And Lord, we want to thank you especially for uh, the work of the CE committee and what they do. We thank you for how they encourage education in this church. Lord, we thank you for all the Sunday school teachers. And we thank you they've been able to enjoy a rest for these past couple of weeks. And as they resume again, their responsibilities that you would help them with that and that you would bless them in that, that they would see fruit for their labor we do pray for the children in our church that they would be growing in wisdom and understanding and that they would be seeking you and loving you. And so I do pray for each child that they would enjoy the blessing of this education. Lord, we remember this new class that's starting next week. That, that would be a help to us, that it would help us to gain understanding of your word. Uh, bless Colin as he prepares for it. And so, Lord, we now ask that you would accept these offerings in your name, that you would use them whether it's for the education or for whatever purpose that you would ultimately be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in your seats, let's sing Psalm 149b. come before God again in prayer as we pray for different concerns in the congregation. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank You for You are our God, and as we come to the end of a year, we thank You for how we can look back at how You have been with us, and how You've looked after us, and how You have indeed blessed us. Even in hard times, we recognize and um, that your hand of blessing is even in that. And, and so, Lord, we come now with thanksgiving for your goodness to us. And, Lord, help us prepare for a new year. As many of us like to make new year's resolutions, Lord, that we would uh, seek to grow in our walk with you. Lord, that we would be more committed this year to you. Uh, Lord, help us to be more frequently in your word. That we would be more frequent in being on our knees praying to you with our, our different concerns and our needs, that we would be committed to seeing our children grow in their understanding of you, that we would seek to be more loving of one another. And Lord, we recognize we can't do this by ourselves. That's why we have failed. That's why we seek to resolve to do it again. And so we need uh, your grace and your strength. And so I pray that you would help each one of us as we seek to walk more closely with you in this incoming year. Father, we pray also for uh, this new year when uh, many of our expectant mothers will be giving birth, and so we do pray uh, for your blessing on Sarah, and Heather, and Maddie, and Elizabeth. We pray that you be with each of these ladies. We thank you, Lord, for their unborn children, and we do pray uh, for safe delivery of these children. We pray for your help and your strength in their uh, fatigue and in their weakness, uh, and you be close to them and help them and uh, the other family members as well. Father, we remember those of us who can't be here, uh, whether it's uh, to do with old age or infirmity. We pray for Lawrence and Jean. Um, we pray for Ed and Mildred. And we pray for Donnie and Ellen. We pray for others, Lord, who can't be here because of illness. And we pray for each um, of these couples. We remember Donnie, especially, um, who has not been well the last couple of weeks has been frail. And so we pray you would help him regain his strength, help him, Lord, to regain Um, his balance as well. And so, Lord, we do pray you would uh, give him wisdom in in what he seeks to do. We pray you would help Ellen as she seeks to support him uh, and bless her and give her strength and the wider family as well. Father, we pray for uh, different families in our church. And this morning, we want to remember Steve and Cindy Hamstra. Lord, we thank you for them. We thank you for uh, their love for one another, their love for you. And we do pray for your ongoing blessing Uh, On this family, we pray for Steve and his work at Carlisle, that you would bless him there. And Lord, we pray for better health, as he's been suffering a number of sinus infections recently. And we just pray that you would help him and be able to fight that off and strengthen him. Lord, we pray for Cindy. Do bless her. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for this recent work at the library with tutoring internationals. And we do pray that you would bless her relationship with this uh, Turkish lady and encourage that relationship and that friendship Lord, we pray for their sons, for Will. We pray particularly as he's looking for employment. Lord, you provide something suitable for him. And Lord, we pray for your blessing on Ian as he studies up in Purdue. Uh, We thank you for his love for you, and we pray you would bless him, especially as he's involved with RUF up there and attends Lafayette. We do pray for your blessing on him as he also plans to be a counselor at the summer camp in France this summer. And we do pray that you would help him Um, as he prepares for that, and that would be a useful experience in strengthening him in his walk with you. Father, we also remember Rich and Cheryl Harden this morning, and we thank you, Lord, for your great provision uh, for them this past year as they celebrated a big anniversary, and uh, Lord, we thank you for um, even Rich's ill health, that you've got him through that, and uh, he's much stronger uh, as a result now, and so we do pray uh, for your blessing, for this new year. Give them wisdom. I know particularly they have this house that they would like to build, and yet the timing has not been great. And so we do pray you give them patience in regards to that. Lord, we thank you for um, how they're closer um, to some of their family by, by being here. And we do pray that you would use them as grandparents in the lives of their grandchildren and pointing them to you. And we pray for their children who are not walking with you, that you would work in their hearts, that they would seek after you. Father, we pray for Chris Hedman this morning. We thank you for him. We thank you that he's had the opportunity uh, to visit with family over the Christmas season. And Lord, we do pray for your continual upholding of him. We thank you for his work in Boston Scientific. Bless him there and the relationships that he has there. And continue, Lord, to bless him in his walk with you. Father, we pray for our missionaries, and we want to pray particularly for For Andrew and Heather Little in Nantes in France. We do thank you, Lord, for your great provision for them in this new building, and we thank you for how it has given uh, that small church um, a greater greater presence in that community and maybe a greater reputation as a result that it is something stable. And uh, and so we do pray that as they have been visitors, uh, having visitors recently, Um, that these folk would uh, continue to come, and as they hear the gospel preached, we do pray that you would work in their hearts. So strengthen that congregation and encourage them. Father, we pray for churches locally, and um, we pray for the North Hills Congregation in Pittsburgh. Do bless the ministries of Harry Mesker and Martin Blocky. Bless these men, and as they uh, preach your word, that you have blessed the preaching of your word there. Uh, that these church, this church would be an, make an impact in that local community of Pittsburgh. And we pray, Lord, for our own congregation, that you'd be using us where you've placed us. Uh, Lord, that you'd be um, helping us uh, to be a light in the darkness with our, our family and with our friends and with our work colleagues. And, Father, we thank you for the preaching here, and we do pray that you would bless John as he preaches your word to us. Help us, Lord, that we would be receptive, that we would be attentive, uh, Lord, that your spirit would be working in our hearts, convicting us and encouraging us from your word. We ask all of this in Christ's name, amen. Well, before the preaching of God's word, let's sing, and we're going to sing Psalm 16a. Psalm 16a in the blue psalm book. Again, we see in the psalm, we're not to seek idolatrous worship, pouring gifts of blood to idols. Instead, we are to seek the inheritance of which is God Himself. And so let's praise God with these words, Psalm 16 Let's stand and praise Him. Take your seats, and I invite John to come preach God's word to us.
1: Well, good morning. It is a pleasure and a privilege uh, to be able to open God's word with you this morning. Uh, I'd ask you to turn, uh, please, in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 12. That's Deuteronomy chapter 12. Uh, we read Leviticus 17 earlier just to make that a little bit more exciting. Thank you for laughing. All right. Uh, So, yeah, Deuteronomy is a a difficult book. It's a difficult passage, uh, seemingly confusing, sometimes seemingly chaotic, uh, and and inapplicable to us today, it seems. Uh, In fact, many of your Bibles may even have throughout this middle section of the book of Deuteronomy just miscellaneous laws or random regulations, Um, and it seems just as uh, Pastor Rich approached the Proverbs a couple of years ago, uh, we ought not to expect that any book that the Lord has given to us is a disorganized mess. Uh, But actually, there there is a structure to it, Uh, and as it's not as though God is sort of thinking up a couple more things to tell Israel before they go into the promised land here in Deuteronomy. But uh, many, many understand uh, that this is Moses' final sermon uh, before the people enter the promised land. And uh, the opening of the book, Deuteronomy 1 through 11, sort of recounts uh, Israel's history and then recounts the Ten Commandments. Uh, and I would suggest to us that as we read Deuteronomy 12 uh, through chapter 26, that Moses is actually expounding the Ten Commandments to the people, uh, applying it to their lives. Uh, Probably the greatest application-driven sermon, aside from the Sermon on the Mount, uh, that's ever been preached. Uh, And so as we look through this, uh, today in Deuteronomy 12, he begins the exposition of the first commandment. Which is, uh, of course, with the preface, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And then the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And so we'll see in this passage uh, how God, through Moses, makes clear all the ways that we are to have no other gods before him. So this is Deuteronomy chapter 12. Listen and hear the word of the Lord. These are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. And you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place and there you shall go. There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your households, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For as yet you have not come to the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. But when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety, then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, and all your choice offerings which you vow to the Lord and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion nor inheritance with you. Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses, in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. However, you may slaughter and eat meat within all your gates, whatever your heart desires, "'According to the blessing of the Lord your God, "'which he has given you, "'the unclean and the clean may eat of it, "'of the gazelle and the deer alike. "'Only you shall not eat the blood. "'You shall pour it on the earth like water. "'You may not eat within your gates "'the tithe of your grain or your new wine or your oil, "'of the firstborn of your herd or of your flock, "'of any of your offerings which you vow, "'or of your freewill offerings, "'or of the heave offering of your hand. "'But you must eat them before the Lord your God "'in the place which the Lord your God chooses.' you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, and the Levite who is within your gates. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all to which you put your hands. Take heed to yourself that you do not forsake the Levite as long as you live in your land. When the Lord your God enlarges your border as he has promised you, and you say, let me eat meat, because you long to eat meat, you may eat as much meat as your heart desires. If the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, then you may slaughter from your herd and from your flock, which the Lord has given you, just as I have commanded you. And you may eat within your gates as much as your heart desires. Just as the gazelle and the deer are eaten, so you may eat them. The unclean and the clean alike may eat them. Only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life. You may not eat the life with the meat. You shall not eat it. You shall pour it out on the earth like water. You shall not eat it that it may go well with you and your children after you when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. Only the holy things which you have and your vowed offerings you shall take and go to the place which the Lord chooses and you shall offer your burnt offerings, the meat and the blood on the altar of the Lord your God and the blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God and you shall eat the meat. Observe and obey all these words which I command you that it may go well with you and your children after you forever when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow after them after they are destroyed from before you and that you do not inquire after their gods saying, how do these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way for every abomination to the Lord which he hates they have done to their gods for they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. And thus we'll end the reading of God's word uh, as we look at it and apply it today. Uh, I enjoy... Uh, teaching at a classical school where we get to share in great classics of Western art uh, with students. Uh, I often share with them uh, other places in which classical music has crept in so that they understand the influence. Uh, and so I'm, I'm excited to share great, great pieces of Western heritage uh, like Coyote and Roadrunner uh, on occasion. No, I, I don't show that. But, uh, but there, there is often right this, this gag that, that comes up repeatedly and Wiley Coyote climbs up into a tall tree uh, and he watches for the roadrunner down below. And he pulls out a saw and he's going to snatch the, the roadrunner, get him to climb up the tree, and then make the tree fall down. So he's sitting out on a branch and he grabs the saw and he starts sawing away next to him. But of course, we all know Wiley Coyote saws the wrong side of the branch. The branch falls, Coyote looks up at the camera and then falls, defying gravity for just a moment. Right? That was one of my favorite gags as a kid. It was always enjoyable because, of course, you know, if somebody's sitting on the wrong side of the branch and they just start sawing away, then the branch is not going to sustain them. They're going to fall uh, and fall to their doom. And it looks really foolish to trust that branch when you know the branch cannot sustain you. Right? But how often do we as Christians, even as Reformed Christians, right, put our trust in a branch, something that, that derives its source from the source of life, and yet we don't sit on the right side. Right? How often do we, do we sit up on our perch reading theological tomes or praying long prayers or looking at blogs and destroying them in our minds because we're so great and lofty. And yet we sit here sawing away our connection to the one who gives us life. Right? It's easy for us to do this but only God can sustain the weight of life, and none of these other branches can. He alone is worthy of worth, of worship, of worship. And so as we read today's passage, we see that we ought not to bring the idols or the worship of this world before God because they cannot sustain us, but depend instead on Christ alone to come before the face of God. So do not bring the idols or worship of this world before God, but depend on Christ alone alone to come before the face of God. And children, if you're drawing a picture, uh, you might draw a picture of the place where you worship God with other people, and also draw a picture of other places where you can show worship and reverence, ascribe worth to God. Uh, And can you worship God in both of those places? If you can, what makes it possible for us to do that? As we read this morning, uh, the first thing that we ought to take notice of is that Christian worship necessitates a clean break with the world. Christian worship necessitates a clean break with the world. This uh, idea bookends our passage and can also be found uh, in the very center of it. Uh, First, we have to remember the occasion for the writing of this passage, the preaching of this sermon by Moses that that the people have spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness and this is their last big message before they go in under Joshua's leadership to take uh, possession of the promised land. Uh, So it's it's an interesting idea that the covenant is being renewed right now and the people are about to go in and be God's people in God's land. Uh, However, God defines these statutes as we read in verse one. These are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord your God of your fathers is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. God is not, therefore, giving them some kind of checklist that they're about to, to make sure they check off, and then the land is theirs forever. Uh, these become a perpetual obligation to the people uh, that as they enter, they are to take care, uh, we read following this, to destroy their altars, destroy. Uh, dispossessing the places where the people serve their gods, destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, burn their wooden images with fire, cut down the carved images of their gods, and destroy their names from that place. So as the people go into the promised land, this ought to be one of their first duties, that they go in and they completely wipe away all of these false gods that the people of Canaan have been worshiping. Uh, And this is not Soft language, right? Utterly destroy, break, burn, cut down, destroy their names. That so so total should be the destruction of the places of worship of these false gods. That the name does not even reside there. Right? We read as the people capture the promised land, they're to set up pillars so that their children ask, why Why is that there? Uh, and the, their fathers then respond, because the Lord has delivered us and given us this place. Right? Nobody should stumble across an altar of a false god in the future and be able to ask, why is that there? You don't even mention the name of the god. Right? It's, it's rubbish. It's, it's utterly destroyed. And the name is to be cut off so that there is no reverence given whatsoever to any of the false gods. Well, this certainly is to be a, a once and for all battle. But it's also supposed to be a generational battle. We see this at the ending of today's passage, right? When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess and you displace them and dwell in their land, verse 30, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you and that you do not inquire after their gods saying, how did these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. So there is a sense in which even generations down the road, after these false gods have been destroyed, there should be no wondering, right? No debating, no questioning. Uh, I think the Message Bible, which I don't often quote, even just says, you're not to go in and sit there and wonder, hmm, I wonder what it was like to worship their gods in that way. I think I'd like to do that myself. Don't do it, (laughs) that's what it says, right? We should never ponder what it's like for other people in the world to pursue their own ideas, to pursue the ways of the world. Uh, we were worshiping uh, at a church last week, and after the music had finished, there was hooping and hollering and clapping, and, and this is not right, what worship is. Right? That's, that's pursuing the things that the world loves in the way that the world loves to worship them, and you are not to serve the Lord your God in that way For every abomination to the Lord which he hates, they've done to their gods. And whatever God commands, we shall do, and not add or subtract from it. A daily battle and a a generational battle, but it ought to be as simple as there is no common starting place between what the world does in its pursuit of glory and what we do in the pursuit of glorifying God. And verse 13 shows us uh, that this is actually a far deeper problem than sort of walking in and stumbling upon something. Uh, we, we often read, uh, even as we sang a few minutes ago, the comparison between Israel uh, and a harlot. Right? In verse 13 we say, or we read, Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see but in the place which the Lord chooses in one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings and there you shall do all that I command you. God knows that this isn't a matter of just kind of finding a high place or a tree or an altar to a false god, but but that we ought not to offer burnt offerings in every place that you see. God is almost saying you can't walk 10 feet and look at a hill without thinking that you can prostitute yourself out to some other way of worship. This is a heart problem. And it runs far deeper than just what we see with our eyes and where we may want to go. One famous uh, literary duo in our home is uh, the great Frog and Toad. Uh, one of my favorite stories of Frog and Toad, uh, Frog and Toad, or Toad Bakes Cookies and Invites Frog Over to Eat Them. And they're sitting there consuming cookies and then putting more and more in their mouth saying, we really should stop eating these, Right. And so Frog says, well, let's do something about it, right? Let's put these in the cookie jar and let's put the cookie jar up on the cupboard. And so five minutes go by and they pull the cookie jar down from the cupboard and they start eating cookies again and say, we have to stop this. So they put it in a box and then they put that box somewhere else and they put the ladder outside and they go through all these steps uh, trying to say, see this, we just need willpower. We just need willpower. This will help us. This is willpower. And finally, uh, Frog does the, the, the mighty action, if you will of taking the cookie jar outside, throwing the cookies to the wind, and saying, here, birds, have your cookies. And he turns to Toad and says, now we have willpower. <laughs> and Toad says, well, you can have your willpower. I'm going to go bake a cake. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but that, that's not unique to Toad. It's not unique to ancient Israel. It's not unique to you or to me. This is a problem we all face. Right? This isn't just a matter of if we cover it up enough times, everything will be okay. We actually need a heart change in our worship. We actually need real willpower pushing idols and pushing false worship out of the way because uh, this is not what worship is. This is not what God himself has commanded for us. And how often have we as Christians, how often have we heard the word uh, worship? But how often have you heard the word worship full? People often say, well, this is worshipful to me, right? This is uh, my idea of worship, or I feel worshipful when I do X, Y, and Z. Right? What, is, what does worshipful even mean? Matt Redmond, about 30 years ago, wrote a, wrote a song, Heart of Worship, where he had stripped all the instruments away from his church. He wrote this new chorus, and they sang it because the point was, we're, we're going back to the heart of worship because it's all about you, Jesus. And that did uh, recreate in people a a better idea of what it means to focus on God in worship. But now here we are 30 years later, and how often can you, how many recordings can you look up and hear people wailing and screaming and applauding and, and turning it into a big production again, right? Because it's a heart problem for us to pursue God in the way that makes us comfortable that makes us feel like we're worshiping when it isn't actually what God employed. God said no Asherah poles, no altars to Baal. We ought to say no rock concerts, no motivational speakers, no sports games in church because that's not the way into God's sanctuary. God himself says what it is and we are not to have any other gods of the world before his face. In other words, the world gets no hold in our worship. When we come to God, we must come with a blank slate and let him write his dictates on our heart. And so that brings us to the second point this morning, that we must pursue fellowship with God through worship according to his terms. Pursue fellowship with God through worship according to his terms. And we see this in verses five through 14. Ultimately, God has said the reason you should destroy these things is not because you'll be worshiping false gods, but in verse 4 he actually says, you shall not worship the Lord your God with those things. And so he then has cleared the board and said, this is not what worship is. Now I will tell you what worship really is. And this is what we see in verses 5 through 14. These people have spent 40 years with a tabernacle at the opening of their homes. Their tents are all to face the tabernacle in the middle of the camp. So when they wake up in the morning and they step out of their homes, that is what they are directed toward, and now they're about to scatter across the promised land, and it would be very easy to forget the Lord their God wherever they go. Uh, And so God says, I am choosing a place to put my name, and that shall be sort of the center, the hub of life for you. Verse five, you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place, and there you shall go. There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your households, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. Uh, This seems really restrictive. There's so many you shall, you shall, you shall, you shall commandments. And I think a lot of people look at this and read and see, well, how demanding of God, right, to, to say how you shall approach. Uh, but we ought not to sort of think this makes us shrink back into sort of, sort of a melancholic duty performing. This isn't just a, a rote thing that we ought to be going through because it's drudgery. No, but God's, God's commands actually are a beautiful thing. Look again at those verbs. First, you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name. That first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me, before my face. God has put his special dwelling place there and the people are to seek it. And then they shall go. They shall take their burnt offerings. And look how it finishes. You shall eat before the Lord your God and you shall rejoice. And this should cause us to lean in and listen with rapt attention. This is fellowship with God himself. He gave clear, precise instructions about who you are to worship, that is God himself, how you are to worship, what you're to bring, and where you are to worship, right before his face in the place he chooses to put his name. We know also the fourth commandment tells us when to worship, uh, because he knows what happens when he dictates worship we shall seek and go and take our burnt offerings and eat and rejoice before the Lord our God. And once the sacrifices are done, you can have this offering, this peace offering, this thanksgiving, thanksgiving offering, and eat before God himself. If the do and be blessed motivation isn't enough for Israel, Moses continues in verses eight through 11, Uh, you shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For as yet you have not come to the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. But when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety, then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall bring all that I command you. You can only worship God and come into his presence and come before his face because he has granted rest from all of your enemies all about. The do and be blessed motivation isn't enough. God is saying, you are blessed, now go and do. Come and worship me. God has given us land and even more importantly, rest, and this blessing should not be treated lightly or abused. I had a coworker a number of years ago at a, at a previous place of em- employment. Uh, we invited him over for dinner and he said tacos was his favorite meal. So we made tacos and we put everything out on the table and he knocks on the door. We opened up the door and he has bags under each arm uh, with tortillas and taco meat and cheese and all of these things. And we said, we, we invited you over for dinner, we're cooking. And he said, I didn't think I'd like what you made. And yet, we have been invited to the king's table to eat and rejoice with the God of the universe. And do we come to worship and say, I didn't think I'd like what you'd made? How much more should we not understand and appreciate the rest that we've been given and then respond to God in worship? If Israel was blessed to be invited to worship, Uh, and to follow these commands, how much more should we who've experienced true rest from all of our enemies then respond to God in right worship? 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, You have this in your outline. Verses 24 through 26 says, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he, that is Christ, puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. And we know that 1 Corinthians 15 passage is about how Christ has done these things. He has accomplished it, he has put away the enemy of death. And if we have no more enemies round about us, how much more shall we come to God in humble worship? Hebrews 4, nine through 10 says there remains, in other words, there still is therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So we must come before the face of God. We must recognize that we are gathered to the place where he has chosen to put his name. And we come here to worship in the way that God has commanded and not in our own ways. This isn't some legalistic command, but a sweet provision. And God provides, of course, not only in worship, but in all of life. So that brings us to our third point this morning, that we must practice our due gratitude in all of life, knowing that all things come from god's gracious hand so practice your due gratitude in all of life knowing all things come from his gracious hand before the sermon we read also from leviticus 17 uh, the opening of that chapter uh, provides us some insight into what life was like uh, before wandering in the wilderness for israel uh, that they uh, they often owned many different animals there were the wild animals that wandered in the wilderness uh, like the deer And the gazelle, but there were also these animals that they shepherded, uh, the oxen and the goats and the lambs. Uh, And so they were welcome to eat of these things. But every time that they ate one of these sacrificial animals, they were to bring them to the tabernacle, have the blood and the fat put upon the altar, and then they could go and eat. And Leviticus 17 refers to that as a peace offering, as a fellowship meal with God. Right? But God is, is bringing, is putting a, a reflex into his people's lives so that every time they go to eat, they are reminded that they can only eat because all of these sacrifices have happened. Everything allows them to have peace with God. Right? There is no command in the Bible to pray before a meal, but there is this, this recognition that every meal that we have comes because of the Lord's provision, If you kill something to eat or sacrifice, you bring it to the tabernacle, you pour out the blood, you thank God, and then you go and eat. And that Leviticus passage says that it it is to be an abiding command, a perpetual obligation to the people of God. Uh, It says so that no one offers these to demons, uh, or some of your translations may say to goat demons, uh, and that is, is there. No one is to have another God before the face of God. Nobody should be offering these to somebody else when the due thanks and due gratitude and due praise is to be to God. And God makes an even more sweeping instruction here, not just that no one uh, ought to be out there uh, just about to sacrifice their sheep to a goat demon and then go, oops, I'm not supposed to do that, and then go to the tabernacle. No, again, this is a, a target directed at the heart. It is that it ought to be a perpetual reflex built in uh, to people. And he has now opened this up. He says, I'm giving you the whole land of Israel and you are welcome to eat whatever you want, where, or whatever clean animals you have, wherever you want because I recognize that the place where I've chosen to put my face may be a far journey for you, but you still need to come in gratitude. Right? Verses 15 and 16 of this chapter say, you may slaughter and eat meat within all your gates, whatever your heart desires. According to the blessing of the Lord your God which he has given you, the unclean and the clean may eat of it, of the gazelle and the deer alike. Only you shall not eat the blood. You shall pour it on the earth like water. There are still things that belong to God. And not to you and not to me. Verse 17 says, you may not eat within your gates the tithe of your grain or your new wine or your oil of the firstborn of your herd or of your flock or any of your offerings which you vow of your freewill offerings or of the heave offering of your hand. But you must eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God chooses. Right? There are still things which belong to God. Again, worship happens where and when and how and to whom God says it does. The first commandment doesn't only state that we have no other gods, but that we have no other gods before the face of God who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And the fact is, none of these things, no goat demons, no hills, no dirt, no butcher has brought you or I out of the land of Egypt or out of Babylon, out of the house of bondage, but into a new place, a place of redemption and salvation. This first Peter Two that we read earlier reminds us that we also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So everywhere where you and I and the church go is a place where we ought to offer up sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices to God. Right? We worship God in everything we do and everywhere we go Uh, And that is our offering to God, our understanding that everything we have comes from his gracious hand. Uh, We must recognize God and practice gratitude because even the blood of animals belongs to him and not to us. It also means taking what the Lord has bountifully given and acknowledging whence it came, that it doesn't belong to us and that we have no other inheritance. Verses, verse 19 requires us, uh, along with verse 18, take heed to yourself that you do not forsake the Levite as long as you live in your land. Or verse 18 says, the Levite who is within your gates may eat of it as well. We see that God has made a provision for those who have no other inheritance or no other provision. We have to rejoice And teach thankfulness and sharing with the community, uh, with those who do not have, because ultimately uh, this belongs to God's people because of God Himself. And Numbers 18 says uh, that the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. We sang this earlier from Psalm 16, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. Psalm 119 says similarly, you are my portion, O Lord. We are like the Levite. We have nothing in and of ourselves. Our portion also is God and God himself. And we are due nothing. And so therefore we ought to be grateful for all that God has provided even as we recognize that that they were only to pour out the blood of lambs and goats and oxen, does that mean that the deer and the gazelle did not come from God? Does that mean that Monday through Saturday did not come from God because Sunday is the day given over to him? Does that mean the up to 90% of income that we don't turn over to God is not God's? Does that mean that every non-prayer conversation that we have is not, therefore, God's? No, it means that every one of these things is a place where God, God lives and God dwells, but there is a place where God has put his face and his name, and that is due special consideration. Right? But we ought to be honoring and thanking God for the other food, the other days, the other finances, the other conversations, every life breath that we have ought to be something that is then turned back to God. God says, eat all your heart desires, but recognize who you worship with the how and the where. That also means that when we come to worship, we need to recognize who we are not. And so that brings us to our fourth point this morning. Remember your place in the presence of God. Remember your place in the presence of God. We see this in verses 23 through 28. This passage continues in this somewhat obscure theme, uh, three times repeating this phrase, do not drink the blood, but pour it out on the ground like water. Uh, Here again, we return to Leviticus 17, uh, 10 through 16, and I'll I'll read that once more just to remind us uh, of where we were. Whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, no one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. Right. So this is not just a matter of where does the blood go, right, that we are not offering it out in the wilderness, that we are not giving it to, uh, to goat demons, but actually what is the blood doing? Israel was not to behave like many ancient cults, like Egyptians would, drinking the blood of the animal in order to take up its strength or take up its special abilities or adopt its form. They were not to be uh, drinking blood in order to make them stealthy or cunning to enter God's presence. They were not to be drinking blood in order to gain some kind of strength in order to enter the sanctuary. They were not to be like ancient Romans who would lap up the blood of gladiators in order to gain their courage and their strength. Because no blood would ever make them worthy to enter the presence of God. Every time they came before God, they were to pour out the blood and not eat the blood, but pour it out on the earth like water. Or when they came to the temple, put it on the altar, the place where everything is burned and consumed, because you and I have no place before God. And there is nothing that we can take in ourselves, no blood that we can consume that is going to change our hearts, our souls, our spirits enough that we can therefore enter the presence of God. This is actually a commandment still in place for us today. Uh, Acts 15, uh, the end of the Jerusalem Council, hands down this judgment For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood from things strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well, farewell. And this is the letter passed on to the churches. This is still a binding commandment to us today that we not take in blood because we should never be confused about what gives us strength, about what gives us life, about what sustains and brings us vitality before God. And we must do what is right in the sight of God and not in our own eyes. So what can we bring then that allows us to enter God's presence? Well, it brings us to the next couple of verses here. Uh, verse 26 says, Only the holy things which you have and your vowed offerings you shall take and go to the place which the Lord chooses. And you shall offer your burnt offerings, the meat and the blood, on the altar of the Lord your God. And the blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God, and you shall eat the meat Well, it turns out we can only bring a few things that permit us to come before the face of God. We can bring our burnt offerings, our vowed offerings. In other words, the things that belong to God. We shall bring them to the priests who have marked on their forehead holy to the Lord. And we shall bring them to the place that the Lord our God chooses. We can bring what is God's to God's place to be offered up to God's people who will then turn it over to God himself. In other words, we can bring nothing of our own accord to worship that allows us before the face of God. We can never have any business entering God's presence ourselves. And in today's society, as well as in ancient Israel, we are reminded that we are not only to have no other gods in God's presence, but we are not to try to be any other gods in God's presence. There is nothing that makes us worthy of coming before God. Our place is nothing unless he puts his name on our foreheads and on our hearts and makes us holy to the Lord. If I were traveling abroad and walked into an embassy and presented my passport, I could sit there and wave it all day saying, I demand to be seen, I demand to be heard, I will be recognized. But if I walk into the Italian embassy as an American, it's not going to do any good to sit there and wave my American passport because that, those credentials do nothing there. Right? And that's sort of what, what God is saying. There is no blood that gets you before the face of God. This passport's not going to work. There are no prayers. Uh, there are no ancient theologians who can get you there. There are no martyrs. There are no saints uh, or Mary who you can ask, please let me in. Right? There is one credential and one credential only that makes us worthy to enter an audience with the king. These are not the ordained measures. Right? And we often think, right? well, that's those people. right? But how often do we even subtly in our minds just think, well, I can enter God's sanctuary because I have my big thick study Bible under my arm or I have my blue Psalter or I have the Westminster Confession or the standards. right?" And those are the things that make me extra able to come and worship or make my head clearer or my heart purer to come before God. But these aren't God-ordained measures to come before the presence of God either. 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6 says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. And that's why it doesn't matter what religious artwork we want to make or what devotional you've been reading or what long prayer you've read on Wednesday night uh, or what song you've written for Sunday morning, right? because these things are not what bring us closer to God because that's not what the Lord has given to give us new life. It's reminiscent of the parable of the wedding feast that Jesus proclaimed. That he invites many to come to the wedding and then when they don't come in the clothes that he has given, he casts them out. And that of course refers to our salvation but it ought also to be a reminder to us of what worship and worship of God is like. So ultimately, the only way to solve this problem of coming before the face of God and worshiping him is our fifth point and final point this morning, that we need to depend on Christ alone when you come before the face of God. Depend on Christ alone when you come before the face of God. And here we return uh, to the same driving point of the passage, that we must worship God how he wants, where he wants, with what he wants, and with what he provides. In other words, he'll provide a place, he provides a method, and he also provides the mediator. And we just talked about the fact that we cannot take in blood into ourselves. Verses 23 and 24, be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life. You shall not eat it, you shall pour it on the earth like water. And There's nothing that we can take into ourselves that makes us worthy. And that is absolutely true. And Jesus turns this statement on its head when in John 6, he's preaching to the crowd and says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And here Jesus changes our perspective on Leviticus 17. We can eat whatever we want, but we cannot eat the blood of animals because it will never cleanse us. It was never meant to cleanse us. It was never meant to make us holy to bring us into the presence of God but there is a blood that was always intended to do so. Leviticus 17, verse 11, we've read a couple of times now, says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. God does not say here, That I have given it to you so that you might put it on the altar. And he doesn't say that I've given blood in animals so that you can come. God actually says, I have given the blood to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. There is only one sacrifice that makes us worthy to enter the presence of God, to come before his face and that is Jesus, he is the provided sacrifice. He is the provided fellowship meal with God himself. We can come and we can eat and we can rejoice in all that we undertake before the face of God in his holy, heavenly tabernacle because there is a blood that exchanges blood for soul. There is a blood that exchanges death for life and sin for purity. But that blood is not a blood that you can shed, that you can scatter on the altar, that you can pour out on the ground. It's the blood that God Himself gave on the most unusual and most worthy altar ever to be on the face of the earth. When God Himself, in the perfect person of Jesus Christ, came and poured out His blood on the ground like water. And Hebrews 9 reminds us of this that it's not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood. Jesus entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This blood must become the blood that we eat and symbolically, Jesus says that we must partake of the blood of Jesus if we're to have any place with him, any opportunity to serve him, any joyous fellowship, any worth with him. This is true symbolically as we become Christians that we must partake of the blood of Christ in order to have fellowship with him. But isn't it interesting that we must participate via picture in his death to sin and life to righteousness even those of us who have been Christians for a long, long time. Because what is the symbol of fellowship with God, of union together with God, of communion? It is the flesh and the blood. So even as lifelong Christians, we come and we gather together and we take up the cup and we eat of his flesh and we drink of his blood poured out for us when we come to the communion table, a perpetual reminder and a perpetual obligation that will be fulfilled before the throne of God at the wedding feast of the Lamb. As our meal is not fruit or vegetables or meat or taking in the blood of animals, but taking in the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ who sustains us. He is the tree, and we must rest our lives and our souls on him. We have only God before God. So, Church of God, remember that we are to have no other gods or be no other gods in his presence and not bring the idols or the worship of this world before God, but depend on Christ alone to come before the face of God. Let us pray. Uh, God, this is a lengthy and a difficult and a sometimes confusing passage uh, for us to look at. Uh, We often don't think about blood, we don't butcher animals, most of us on the daily basis, but we do remember, Lord, that everything comes from your hand and that we have no place before you in worship except that we've been covered by the blood of the Lamb. We pray, Lord, that even more and more and more each day that we would remember that we are being built up as living stones to be a spiritual dwelling place for you. That we ought to honor you with every breath, with every meal, with every Uh, financial gift that we have been given from you, that we turn this back to you, and we remember all of life is worship, but even as we come before your face uh, here on a Sunday morning, on a Sunday evening, we come only through the blood of Jesus Christ, the one true, perfect sacrifice and mediator. We pray that this would be uh, on our hearts as we go forth this week, that we would give back to you the life that you've given to us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. To turn with me now uh, in your psalter to Psalm 116D, Psalm 116D. It's a psalm that uh, seems perfectly suited to our passage today, that we come uh, lifting salvation's cup and calling on the Lord's name, vows to the Lord before his people pay. Observed by him and precious in the Lord's sight is every death among his godly ones. Surely I am your servant, O Lord. I am your handmaid's son. You freed me from chains. So as we call upon the name of the Lord who brought us up out of the house of bondage and out of the land of Egypt ourselves, we come because salvation's cup has been lifted for us. Let's stand and sing Psalm 116D.
0: After the benediction, we'll sing the doxology, and it's Psalm 113c, stanza one, and you're going to sing this twice. So receive God's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen.